The scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you have come, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this week we're going to be concluding our series on experiencing God through our five senses, the way that we experience God by worshiping Him through our five senses. And it got me to thinking, how do we experience God through sight? How do we experience God through sight? How can we see what it is that God is calling us to do or who it is that God is calling us to share our stories with? How do we do that through sight? See, this passage that we're talking about today, it's a a very famous passage. It's one that we're all familiar with. It's the passage that tells of the conversion from Saul to Paul. We know that he was on the road to Damascus, and when he was almost there, a great light shone around him. And when that great light shone around him, he could hear the voice of Jesus, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? See, the light blinded Saul so that he couldn't see. He was totally blind for three days after this experience on the road. This man who had no trouble seeing when someone had gone against the Jewish faith now couldn't see anything in front of him. Couldn't see a thing completely blind. And I bet that Saul was experiencing a storm of emotions when this happened. I bet he was feeling some guilt for the way that he had treated the Christians. After all, Jesus had just called him out on it. And I bet he was feeling scared because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's gone blind. He could see and now he can't. But I bet the strongest emotion that Paul was feeling at this moment was confusion. I bet he was confused. You see, Saul was one of the greatest Jews that there could be if you were measuring them according to faithfulness, if you were measuring them according to how strictly they adhered to the Jewish traditions. He thought that by persecuting Christians, he was living out his faith in a very, very faithful manner. 
See, this encounter on the road catches him by surprise, and it causes him to rethink everything that he believes and everything that he is going to do from this point forward in his ministry. We know that this encounter on the road that Paul had not only changed his life and his name forever, but it was also what led to, one of the formation, uh, led to the formation of one of the greatest things that we have, one of the greatest gifts that we have, the church. If it weren't for Paul going blind on this road and his life being changed, having this conversion experience, the church may have never happened. And if it had, it may not have looked a lot like it does now. It may not be nearly as strong as it is now if Paul had not been involved, if Paul had not had this experience on the road to Damascus. God had allowed one of his children to go blind so that he could see everything that he needed to see so that what, could be done, what needed to be done could be done. Now, we know that Paul gained his sight back after three days. But it was by losing his physical sight and his confidence in what it was that he was doing that he was able to listen to and hear the voice of God by going blind to everything else around him. Paul was able to open his eyes and see the world in a new way. This experience of of seeing the world in a new way, it got me to thinking about my great-grandfather. See, my great-grandfather wasn't born blind. When he was born, he was able to see just as well as anyone else. But when he was a child, he was playing around a fire with some of his friends. And I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know if the wind kicked an ash up or if someone tossed an ash. But, but an ash ended up going through the air and hit my great-grandfather in the eye. And he lost his sight in that eye. And over the course of time, the strain on his good eye ended up causing him to go blind completely. By the time I knew my great-grandpa, he couldn't see me. He had no idea what I looked like. My Papa Loftus had always gone to church. He was a very faithful man, taught Sunday school, taught his kids the faith. My, my grandmother and her brothers and sisters, they're all very strong Christians, even today. And they passed that tradition on. But even before my Papa was blind, he believed in God and lived a good, faithful Christian life. But I can remember on several different occasions when I would spend some time with him that he would talk about how losing his sight caused him to be able to see God in a different way. He didn't go blind all at once like Paul did. It happened slowly, gradually, over the years. He reached a point when his children were young that he knew he would eventually lose his sight altogether. So he made sure that every time he looked at them, he committed their faces to his memory. He made sure that everything he looked at, he committed it to his memory. So that when he could no longer see, he would still have those memories of what the world was like, of of what the world still is like. He would talk about how he would look at the flowers. He'd look at the birds and the trees outside. He lived in the mountains, and he loved being able to see those things. And he knew that he wasn't going to be able to see them forever. And so he learned how to not take anything that he saw for granted. He got to the point where everything he looked at, he started to find God in it. He knew that he was getting older and that he wasn't going to be able to learn Braille. So he knew that it was time to begin memorizing his Bible. And I kind of chuckled at that when he said it one time. Because he grew up with strong Southern Baptist roots, and the man could quote Scripture all day long better than anybody I knew. But he knew he needed to start memorizing the Bible. He had to start internalizing it. He had to start getting to the point to where when he lost his sight, he could still read the Word of God. He knew that it was important. But knowing that there would come a time when he would no longer be able to read the Word of God caused him to start reading the Bible a little more slowly, a little more deliberately, He cherished every word as his eyes moved across the page. My great-grandpa would look at his children who were getting a little older at this point, and he would remember 
their faces, knowing that, that one day they may not be more than a memory in his mind. And eventually, my Papa Loftus completely lost his sight. And I don't want to make this out to sound like losing your sight's a wonderful thing. It's not. It hurts. And it hurt him. It hurt his heart knowing that there were things that he loved he'd no longer be able to see. It hurt his heart knowing that there were things that would happen in his life that he would want to see and wouldn't be able to. But it especially hurt him to know that there would be children who would be born in his family whom he'd never see their faces. But even in the midst of all of those things that should have been a source of sadness, Papa Loftus considered the loss of his sight one of the greatest gifts to his spiritual life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, We walk by faith, not by sight. That was a passage that my grandpa learned to live. It was one that he memorized and he was forced to live, not by any choice of his own. And after completely losing his sight, after my great-grandmother had passed away, my Papa Loftus lived alone. And I can remember a lot of times as a child, we'd go over to Papa's house, and all of the family would be there, and we would watch as he would be on his hands and knees in the garden, picking weeds. And he'd never pick anything incorrectly. It was always just the weeds. He'd leave the plants that needed to be there, there. And and he would be able to do this by feel, but I think he knew. His intuition was there. He was able to see the world in a different sort of way. And we'd watch and stare in amazement as he would cook those biscuits in the oven, not being able to see a thing, and they'd be perfect. And he didn't need any assistance from anyone. And I think his ability to function in life with so much joy and so much contentment and so much success had a lot to do with the fact that he was looking at the world with his heart through a lens of faith that none of the rest of us were really able to do because we could still see. We could still be distracted by everything else around us. And I often think that many of the troubles that I've faced in my life and that many of us face in our lives are due to the fact that we are distracted by what we see. We're distracted by what our eyes take in. With so many things going on around us competing for our attention, we end up focusing on things that are the shiniest or the brightest or the biggest or the loudest. We focus on things that have little or no value to the kingdom of God if we really get honest with ourselves. This is something that my great-grandfather was able to discover during his lifetime. In order for him to no longer be distracted by all of these things that often cause us to move our attention away from God, he had to go blind to them. Now, I'm not saying that we have to lose our sight in order to be closer to God or in order to see God or the way that God works in the world. But we have to start being aware of what it is that we're taking in, of what it is that we're focusing our sight on. Sometimes we end up like Saul, focusing on things that are actively destroying God's kingdom without even realizing it because we're not looking at the world the way that God would have us look at it. So how are we to make sure that we're building up the kingdom more than we're destroying it? What are some of the ways that we can help those scales fall from our own eyes? Well, the first thing that we can do to make sure that we are able to see the world in a different way is to change our daily routine. We're creatures of habit. We end up doing things the exact same way day after day. It's what we do. It's okay, but it's what we do. And it ends up causing us to not see the world from a different perspective many times. I drive down Irby Street a lot. This past week, I took a different road than what I normally do. And I noticed a house positioned up on a hill on Irby Street. As many times in the past three years as I have gone down the street, I've never seen this house one time. But that particular road has been traveled so much that unless something is noticeably different, I often don't notice anything at all. Folks, this is a house. This isn't a pine needle that I missed. It's a house. And I saw it for the first time in three years because I took a different path. What are some of the things that 
we often pass by and never see? Who are some of the people that we often pass by and never see? Just because we don't take a different path. Just taking a different street caused me to notice a house that I had never seen before. Perhaps doing something new or from a different perspective can cause us to see God and the things that God would have us to do just a little more clearly, even a little differently. I've never been on a mission trip outside of the U.S. before I was appointed here at Central. And almost immediately after I was appointed here in 2012, not less than a full month later, I found myself in Costa Rica with about 17 other people. Let me tell you, if you've never been on a mission trip, make time to go. Make time to go. Saying I don't have time is not an excuse. Make the time to go. We make time for things that that we see are important. Make the time to go. And I encourage you to get out of Florence to do it. You don't have to go to Costa Rica. But find a place outside of your area of where you normally travel and exist to go serve God. See, going to Costa Rica that summer allowed me to encounter people for an extended period of time with whom I would do ministry in a different sort of way. And I believe that there were 18 of us that summer who went. And many of these people who went on this trip were members of our church, but they're also members who are deeply involved in different ministries in our church, whether it be on a committee or serving in different other ministry areas. But I often don't get very much time to speak with them, except on Sunday mornings or or whatever it is, the three or four minutes before or after a committee meeting. But that week that I spent in Costa Rica, I got to know their personal stories a little more. I got to know them a little more deeply. And because I got to know them a little more deeply, relationships were developed. Relationships were built that wouldn't have otherwise been built. And the things that I built in Costa Rica were important. But those relationships had been crucial to my ministry here over the last three years. Going on a trip that was not part of my ordinary, everyday activity gave me a different perspective into the lives of those people with whom I'd build God's kingdom. Get a little different perspective. Do something a little different. Take a different route. Build some different relationships. And then this leads me to the next way that we end up seeing God at work. These relationships were formed. And they were formed while I was in Costa Rica. And they have helped me work through the last three years, and they've given me ideas that I wouldn't have had otherwise. They've allowed me to see Florence in a little different way. They've allowed me to see South Carolina in a little different way. But they've allowed me to see God's children all throughout the world in a little different way because each one of those people have different specialties. Each one of those people have different spiritual gifts. They may be gifts that I am not... They may not, they may not be gifts that I have or I'm not as strong at. But because they have them and because I have those relationships built with those people, I'm, a, I'm able to see the world a little differently, with a little different perspective than I would have otherwise. So when we start trying to look for God in the world, we've got to surround ourselves with other people looking for God. We've got to surround ourselves with other people who are Christians. When I started seminary, they told us all at one of the orientations that seminary students are kind of like a cluster of grapes. Grapes exist together on a vine. And when one of those grapes falls off the vine, it starts to rot pretty quickly. It's the same way with us. It's the same way with Christians. As long as we're held together in that vine, as long as each one of us as grapes are held together in the vine of Christ, we do pretty well together. We retain that vitality, that sweetness, that goodness, those nutrients. But when we fall apart, we start to lose our way. We've got to hold those relationships close. And one more way that we can see God at work in the world is something that has continued to come up throughout this series 
And that's prayer. If you want to see God at work in the world, if you want God to reveal what it is that God is calling you to do, you have to pray. You have to be in conversation with God. You have to talk to God. You have to let God talk to you. In the men's small group this past week on Wednesday night, we were talking about how Jesus would spend all night in prayer. We were talking about how he would spend up to ten hours at a time praying. Jesus thought prayer was important. He thought that it was crucial. When he needed God to reveal what it was that he needed to do next, he would pray. And I believe that many, if I don't believe any of us really could spend ten hours at a time praying. I'd be surprised if that were the case. But I bet many of us could spend ten minutes a day praying. Ten minutes a day praying that we have not been previously doing. You know what that adds up to? In a week, that adds up to 70 minutes. An hour and 10 minutes per week that we would be in prayer, that we would not otherwise be in prayer. Over the course of a year, you will have spent a little over 60 hours praying that you did not previously spend in prayer. That is a week and a half of a work week that you will have prayed, that you would not have otherwise prayed. If we all spent an extra 60 hours in prayer a week, My guess is we wouldn't find ourselves having as much trouble seeing God at work in the world. Because we'd be able to see the world a little differently. And because we're able to see the world a little differently, we'd find ourselves engaged in building God's kingdom a little more than we may be able to now because we're able to have that communication line, that relationship that is important, open between us and God. Paul had an encounter on the road to Damascus. And it changed his life forever. He started traveling on a road that he didn't travel that often, and gained a greater, more godly perspective while he was on it. But he didn't walk that road alone. He walked along that road with friends. And when he was unable to see, those friends took him by the hand, and they led him to a place that allowed him to see God in a new way. Not only was he able to see God in a new way, but he was able to see all of God's children in a new way. Folks, he took a different route. He surrounded himself with people, with whom he had strong relationships. And then he spent the rest of his ministry in prayer for God's kingdom and God's children. May we all find our road to Damascus. May we all find that place in our life that causes us to have the scales fall from our eyes and see the world through eyes of compassion and understanding. And on our journey, may we be able to look out for those who have lost their ability to see. And when we find those folks, may we be able to take them by the hand And lead them to a place that allows them to be able to see God differently in a new and exciting way. And see the world differently in a new and life-giving sort of way. 